The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Interesting people, relatable stories, relevant, topical. This is 630 Chad Afternoons with Jaylen Nye. On Friday evening, two of Canada's best-known military historians and authors will take the stage at Festival Place for a very special presentation. Uh, it's called From Dieppe to D-Day, The Untold Story. It's going to see Ted Barris and David O'Keefe answer some of the questions that still remain. And I'm thrilled to have my pal Ted Barris in studio. And, of course, David O'Keefe joins. We finally meet in person. Finally. Nice finally. to see you. <laughs> um, it's interesting um, because Ted also has a new book out uh, called Rush to Danger, which um, it, really interesting. You, we had touched on it before a little bit, a little bit about your father's story, but more about medics yeah. in in the military. So I want to get to that uh, coming up. You've both written books about uh, Dieppe. You've both written books about uh, about Juno, about D Day. What is there that we still don't know that still hasn't been talked about? Boy, where do you want to start? <laughs> you go first. Okay, well, you're new here. Yeah, I'm the new one. Yes, yeah, yeah. Throw the new guy in. I'll take point. Um, there's so much. There's so much. Uh, one of the things about, of course, military operations, yeah. almost everything is classified and yeah. it remains classified for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. So it was really only at the end of, um, you know, I guess 1995, on the 50th anniversary of uh, the end of World War II, where they started finally releasing millions of pages. And so as a result, I mean, there's so many different things. Things, whether it be Dieppe, whether it be D-Day, most of the stuff is intelligence related. Now, your book it was called uh, One Day in August, The Untold Story Behind Canada's Tragedy at Dieppe. You originally didn't want to write this book, but you did. Um, first off, why did you do it? And you did years of research on this. Yeah, I did. Well, it was one of those things where I never wanted to touch Dieppe with a 10-foot pole, um, just simply because I know how controversial it was, and I realized it could potentially be a quagmire unless you were coming you know, coming to the dance with something significant in hand. And you did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. But it, 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 and you're right, it did take a long time. And uh, it started off with one document that I found that um, basically suggested, or more than suggested, said that there was a commando operation that was going on during the Dieppe operation um, that was designed to snatch anything to do with the four-rotor Enigma machine, the mm-hmm. famous Enigma yeah, yeah. machine. And this is what they needed at Bletchley Park because the, the Germans had upped the game and the Allies had been blacked out. Um, for for uh, finding submarines at the time. Um, so in this particular case with the um, with the research, I had no clue where to go. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, it was one page. And then slowly, year after year, they started to release more and more material. Kind of like, you know, puzzle pieces in a box. <laughs> you know, that's basically what it was. And then finally the picture started to emerge and it turned out that this commando unit, which I thought at first was nothing more than a throw-on at the tail end of the operation like a caboose on a train, was actually one of the engines, or the engine, driving the entire operation. This is this ultra this is Ultra, what is better known as Ultra. So in other words, that was the code name that was given to the fruits of the code-breaking effort. Wow. And it was, uh, you know, it's remarkable. I mean, some of the stuff we'll be talking about uh, tomorrow night, of course, has yeah. to do with, you know, what they were developing at Dieppe. They were developing the ability not only to get in and break the German codes, but they had been breaking the um, the German Luftwaffe codes yeah. for several years. And what they were doing now is they were learning how to harness 
all the new and all the new intelligence and do it in real time mm. so in other words while the battle was going on they were breaking codes they were you know doing traffic analysis and then they were getting it back to the ship so then they could use the forward air controller to mm-hmm. control the battle in the sky I mean this is unheard of we have never heard about this. let me dovetail there uh, Jaylen because many years before David did all this absolutely totally groundbreaking stuff my dad and I had interviewed back in the 1970s or 80s, a man named Ron Beale. Ron Beale went in with the Royal Regiment of Canada. Mm-hmm. They got slaughtered. Yeah. And here was a man who had survived and had gone off to POW camps and the horrid conditions. That, that was the one thing that Ron refused to talk about. He mm. could talk about mm. the beach and the blood and mm. the guts and all the rest of that. He would not talk about the pr- prisoner of war camps. And he was a very bitter man. Hated Mountbatten. Hated anybody who had anything to do with the designing of Dieppe until David came along. Tell them what happened. Well, we were <laughs> yeah we were doing the documentary uh, Dieppe Uncovered. It was before the book came out, and so we set up an interview with Ron. And Ron was in uh, in Toronto in a veteran's home, and we went to see him, and we sat down with him. And of course, he was quite emotional and told the story that you know Ron, uh, that uh, Ted has just mentioned. And uh, as we were sitting down with him, um, you know, we concluded the interview, and I got to give credit to my film partner Wayne Wayne Abbott because Wayne Wayne said, "Look, you got to tell him what you found." And I said, well, Wayne, you know, I'm a historian. I, you know, I don't do this. I, I, you know, it's, it's not something. I, I, I write a book and then yeah. people will read it. And he goes, he's 92. Yeah. Tell him. And so we did. But I said, look, we have to do this right. So we spent the next three and a half hours taking him through the documents. Now, mm. <laughs> you'll, you'll appreciate this. I went through 150,000 pages of material. Oh, my gosh. And then we carved out about 500 pages of what we call, believe it or not, the Gretzky files, the best of the best, right? And we took these to Ron. And for three and a half hours, we took him through it. And you could just see the last 70 years all fall into really? place with him. As everything came out, he was like, oh, my, yeah, yeah. And then finally... We put him back on camera, and we asked him, and he said, uh, yeah, yeah, what do you think about the new research? I'm blown away. And he said, you know what, I don't really care if, if we didn't get it, um, you know, because they tried to, yeah. and they, they got close, but they didn't get it. It's not about that. Um, I, now I know all my friends died, what, what they died for. And now I can die in peace. There was an answer to it, eh? There was an answer. Yeah, and yeah. So when you're when you're looking at you know, are there still stories to be told, or are there still things to to learn? uh, So many years later, there absolutely is. You know, I'm I'm interested, um, because both of you, um, both of you have done. You've you've traveled um, to. uh, so many of the um, the the battlefields to the cemeteries. You've traveled across uh, Europe and you've looked at different places. Yeah, Ted, I know that uh, you you do tours on a regular basis. And uh, a friend of mine is going to come to the the event tomorrow night because he met you in Normandy during the last uh, for the uh, the anniversary earlier uh, this year. And um, I know you had the show War Junk. Yep. So, and you know, that I love that show and I can remember watching it. I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is like, I, I turned to my husband and said, I think this is my dream job right here. <laughs> yeah. um, for, for you, when, when you're standing uh, in, in those battlefields or at those monuments or at those sites, do you have a moment, and I'm going to ask you both this, do you, do you have a moment, a, a number one moment that resonates with you or do you have a spot that you find 
most powerful than and, and that's a tough question. That's a tough question if you've been to a lot. Ted, I'm going to start with you. Oh, yeah, I go to Benny. Yeah. Benny Surmir, which is up from mm-hmm. Juneau Beach. Every time I go there. I was there um, in June. Yeah. And I go there because I'm honoring my neighbor and friend in Uxbridge, yeah. Fred Bernard. Yeah. Fred went in with the Queen's Own Rifles in the first wave with his brother Don. Mm-hmm. And his Don didn't get there. He was killed on the beach one bullet to the chest and that was the last he saw of his brother fred did and he never told anybody until i bumped into into the bank in 19 <laughs> no it was in 2003 i think and i had my juno book all written yeah or virtually and i'm standing in line and i was talking out loud to somebody in the bank line the queue about this book i was just finishing about d-day mm-hmm. and fred was in the line in front of me and he turned and he said i was there <sighs> and i just about yeah, you know, the yeah, hair yeah. on the back of my neck, <laughs> and I said, "Can I pay my bills here? And can yeah. we meet later?" We did, and he told me his whole story about how Don went down. And so I go to Don's grave and pay my respects for Fred. Uh, Fred died about three weeks ago. Yeah, and is was he the vet that they put on that uh, private parade yeah. uh, earlier this year? Our entire town. It was amazing. On June the sixth, came out. It was amazing. To pay homage to Fred. It was, it was amazing. A band. There, my yeah. grandson. Yeah. stood on his porch and said thank you to him uh, on behalf of the grade one students of his school. Benny Sermer is my spot as well. I've yes. been there. Th- I've been there three times. As soon as you start talking, I get the, I get the goosies, and I've been there in in the sunlight. I've been there in the rain, and I get choked up even just talking about it. But it was my first experience, kind of my first one of my first stops on my very first trip in 2003, and it is such a powerful spot. My dad feels the same way about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the drive into Beaumont Hamel as well oh. was 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 beautiful. Is that one of your spots? That is actually. Now I've I've been to so many. Yeah. I mean I've been very fortunate. Yeah. I mean this has been my dream, my love, my passion, and I've been able to live it. And I've been able to get to places where a lot of people don't mm-hmm. because of the show we do. And you mentioned Boma Hamel, and I've actually been under Boma Hamel, yeah. and you saw the Psalm episode that yep. we did. And the fascinating part was that that was uh, that was quite the adventure getting in. Because they had to send us down about three stories and basically a cigar tube. And you and took. I, I'm a rather small gentleman, <laughs> as you can see. Um, so you know that was quite something. They kind of had to grease me up and slip me in and pull me out. You, you took a fa- you took family members. We did in you're there and right. to see the and the, yeah. the etchings in yeah. the in the limestone, no, which is you're absolutely right. We took them down and it was incredible because the it was a I guess it was their great uncle. Yeah. And I remember the father turning to the son and saying, oh, my God, he had your handwriting. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh wow. My gosh, and okay. it was just, that was just too much. But yeah. uh, to get back to that, as soon as we had finished filming that scene, it took about 45 minutes to get the entire crew up because they had to lower us and whatever. And I was one of the last ones out because I was the biggest in case anything happened. <laughs> you welcome know, to I, my yeah, world. <laughs> exactly. But it gave me a chance for 45 minutes to pr- pretty much just sit in silence. There in the bottom there and just soak it in because yeah. my grandfather fought there. Wow. And it was wonderful just to, to take in the atmosphere. And even now, just sitting here, I can still smell the smell. Yeah, yeah. I can still remember what it was like, the the, the lack of sound. It was, the silence was just uh, awe-inspiring. It wouldn't cases. have been like that then. No, it no. wouldn't. And that was the wonderful part. That was the wonderful part. And that's why I felt it felt so serene mm. because you knew that this was the place that they went to to seek safety. And then when I came up, 
it happened to be my grandfather's birthday that uh. day. And as we came up, it was really funny because I had mentioned it to some of the guys in the crew. It was my grandfather's birthday, and we come up, and it had rained, and there was this giant rainbow oh over Hawthorne Crater. Ooh. And we just looked at each other and just shook our head and went, nah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> David O'Keefe joining me in studio along with Ted Barris, and Ted writing uh, his new book, Rush to Danger. Had a bit of an experience similar to that when you were when you were traveling and putting this book together. I want to get into this book, Rush to Danger. It's the perspective of war from the medics, from the orderlies, from the from the nurses, from the people who rush out to take care of everybody when well, you know, surrounded by disaster, surrounded by guns, surrounded by blood, just hell. Ugh, hell just by absolute hell. That's right. We'll we'll continue the conversation after this. David O'Keefe, Ted Barris joining me in studio there on stage tomorrow night at a Festival Place. I think it's underway at 7. You're introducing us. I know. You I, know, know. I, I should know that. <laughs> 7, 7.30 tomorrow night. Uh, check out uh, Festival, Place, uh, Festival Place's website for more information. There might be a few tickets left. Uh, tomorrow's, uh, the show um, is is talking about um, about Dieppe. and uh, We're starting there. Yeah, from Dieppe to D-Day, the untold story. Um one of the stories that has just been told is that of, of Ted's dad, uh, Alex uh, Barris, and it's in his new book called Rush to Danger, Medics in the Line of Fire. And I read as much as I could in the past two days about this, but telling the stories of, of medics um, and their counterparts uh, from World War One right through to Afghanistan. And this story started with a question to your dad when you were a child. You were sick. I think you got hit by I a baseball. 14. Yeah, you got hit by baseball or something like that. Yeah, we, I collide in the middle of the diamond with the catcher. I was a shortstop. We both went for the ball and I was out cold for about three minutes. Yeah. Home, recuperating, feeling really sorry for myself. Yeah. And Dad was a freelance writer by that time. because yeah. uh, Some may know the name Alex Barris yeah. associated with the Globe and Mail, the Toronto Telegram, the CBC, radio, television. He was a TV personality yeah. and writer and a freelancer. And so he was home doing some writing and he would come in in the afternoons to humor me because I was feeling sorry for myself. And at some point, I popped the question. I said, Dad, what, what did you do in the war? Because mm-hmm. I didn't know. And then he told me all the funny stories. Well, because that's what so many do. We don't right. get into the down and, and dirty stories, but um, you they found... They sabotaged the, the cook's food. Right. They stole Jeeps when they weren't supposed to. <laughs> all the crazy stuff he told me about, but he never told me about Camp Holtz Woods. No, and it didn't. And you'd asked him if he'd ever won or he'd ever received a medal. Just, just if there was something. And yeah. he gave me this thing and then dismissed it. And he dismissed and I it. I forgot it was about it. Bronze Star. It was. I, but I didn't know what it was. And then Dad's on the... Ver- well, he'd had a stroke, and his memory and his voice were gone. And it was a year before he died. And my mother and I found this citation and this files. I didn't, know, I didn't even know he was a tech sergeant. He was responsible for a platoon of medics in the Battle of the Bulge. And at Camp Holtz Woods, they were dealing with one wounded soldier but every 90 seconds yeah. for 48 hours. 
in this phase of the pushing the Germans back into Germany. And suddenly there are four medics missing, mm -hmm. stretcher bearers, and my dad's responsible. And he has to go in the night through the snow that he finds the footsteps where there haven't been explosions because it's booby-trapped, and he brings these four guys out, two of them disoriented and two of them wounded, and somebody must have noticed because he gets the bronze. I didn't know about all this until he was... And so for those that don't know, the bronze star is... It's the third highest medal yeah. in the yeah. American award system after the Purple Heart and the Silver Star. That's correct. So when you're writing this book, um, I think it's the end of the first chapter, you said um, you had questions about about your dad and about uh, people who were doing his jobs. And you said, why against his better judgment to stay within the safety of friendly lines would my father instead choose to pick his way through a snow-covered minefield and into a forest infested with booby traps, find those wounded and dazed young litter bearers and bring them safely back why when all the world was dashing the other way what he would he choose to rush to danger and then you set out to find out the answers and along the way you met uh, a fellow by the name of al theobald tell me about that i made a really important decision in my life two years ago uh, david is a professor at a community college I was too and suddenly a tour emerged of 35 Americans retracing the steps of the 94th Infantry Battalion dad was in the American Army retracing the steps of the Battle of the Bulge and I knew that I had to go on that trip because I the manuscript was done mm. but I knew that I had to go and find out from the turf and the snow it only it was October there was no snow that my dad had passed over um, to do this and so I quit my job as a professor <laughs> so that I could finish this book and and I went there and I'm and I'm in a little place called Nenig and the guy who was our guide was a PhD student and he was going on 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 with his recitation in front of us all the time <laughs> and I we're in a, this corner where the the Germans and the Americans came clashed in this mm -hmm. little town and he said um, and this happened here and somebody said where were all the civilians and the young man said oh they were all evacuated and a voice from behind me said well that's not exactly true and it was Al. I'd met him yet. We talked. And he said, I remember I was born here and my family home just a few miles from here. When my mom came back to the home, she found medical supplies scattered all over the house. I said, where was this place? He said, oh, it's about a mile from Camp Holtz Woods. So you figured that's wow. where your dad had... Yeah, brought yeah. the four medics. It and was it his was first aid station. His house, Al Theobald's house. And he took you there. He took me there. The house was gone, but I stood on the ground and collapsed. I was just so overtaken. And I realized then that the book, was, which had been written by this time, <laughs> needed to be rewritten. I came home and rewrote it. Uh, Ted and Dave, uh, David, are going to stick around with me for the for the next uh, little while, and we're going to take a break here for the three thirty news. Give the latest on uh, the on uh, the election, what's happening on the campaign trail today. When we come back, Ted, I want you to tell me what it was like. You said you kind of collapsed to the ground, but I want to get into it. What was it like for you to walk in the footsteps of your dad during during that time? That's when we come back. <laughs> Ted Barris, 
David O'Keefe joining me in studio this afternoon. Both Can you change the billing later on so that he leads because he'll get really tight. <laughs> <laughs> um, both military historians, both authors. Uh, David also, um, you might have seen the show War Junk, um, has done documentaries for the, the History Channel, all sorts of stuff. Um, like seriously, dream job right there. Yeah. Um, Ted Barris, is this your 20th book? Your 19th. Tw- 19th book? I'm working on 20 and You're, 21 and 22. It's amazing. It's amazing to me. Um, it's Rush to Danger, Medics in the Line of Fire, and really based on, it's the story of, of your dad. Well, as the backbone to it. I yes. mean, hundreds of other stories. Mm-hmm. And and you had talked about um, meeting Al Theobald, and he took you to the place where your father would have treated people during the war. Right. And what was it like to walk in your father's footsteps at that point? Even more dramatic than that. That was dramatic enough. And Al's wonderful gift of allowing me to go there. Um, I'll never forget it. And he got one of the first copies of this Mm -hmm. book. Um, But then he let me walk the same field that Dad had in that winter situation. And I turned a recorder on, I turned my phone on, and I walked, and I I, I yeah. talked as I walked, and what did I say? Well, you just couldn't believe it. Yeah, and I, I fell apart. Yeah, you, you fell apart, <laughs> you, 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 and you just couldn't... How could he have done, done that? This, this man was mild-mannered, was never... I mean, he was... Uh, as animated as I am and and had great arguments with us because around our table uh, politics was as much uh, mm-hmm. uh, to be discussed with children as it was with adults and but it, he never raised his hand to us he uh, it was a pacifist family we, there was never a gun in the house yes um, and yet um, I never had a sense that he went through this and and walked that field through those mines unaffected and uninterested in telling me. I just, you know, because Dad and I were great friends. Yeah. So you got to know a lot about your dad through writing this book. You got to meet some of his old pals. (laughs) I mean, who were telling you stories and showing you letters and showing you pictures. I mean, what what an unbelievable gift. He's quiet. Ted's not quiet very often. It was Christmas for every day. I went to New Jersey. Eaton Town, New Jersey, right along the Jersey yeah. coast, and I met a guy named Tony Malachi, <laughs> who, who was his buddy. He was the head of the motor pool, so Dad brought the guys in on the stretchers, or his crew did, and handed them off to Tony, and Tony took them from there to the, you know, further echelons back, so that they could be patched up and saved, and they knew each other, and, and Tony called Dad the runner. Yes. Um, uh, and and uh, he said that uh, he, he rarely saw him, because he was on the move all the time, but when I approached Tony about the other aspects of Dad, he shared with me stuff that I knew might have been there, but I couldn't touch it yeah. until Tony gave it to me. For example, my dad was a frustrated writer all the time he was in the Army, and eventually became a professional writer for television and radio and, and newspapers. But he wrote a 
newsletter for the 319th Medical Battalion called the the Weekly Dose. <laughs> <laughs> and he had as much fun with it as your laugh yeah. oh. would suggest. So one of the things that uh, also, this is just not a, a World War One, World War Mm-mm. II story. I mean, uh, you talked to one of the medics from Afghanistan. Two, three. To, yeah, couple, three. The one that, that caught my attention, because I've also read uh, his book, but was the story of Jody Mittick. Um, and uh, a number of people will, of course, know him his story, um, uh, lost um, both of his feet after stepping on um, a mine, an IED, an IED uh, in, in Afghanistan, and uh, has gone on. He was an Ottawa City Councillor. He's written a book. Um, edited when, another one. Edited in another yeah. one. Yeah. And uh, the, the medic that you talked to in this one, the, the interesting thing is, and, and, and it kind of goes to a conversation that I had a bit yesterday about, about firefighters and police officers, first responders who rush in when everybody is rushing rushing out. They, they rush in to take care. But there's this calmness about them. Something happens. It's like a switch. And she's telling the story um, about Jody um, and just you know, taking over and this demeanor that comes across. And, and is that something that you found through, was, was a similar, was the same vein through all of them? Well, on reflection, when Alana Gilmore told me that, it began to reflect on all the other stories I was gathering either firsthand or in correspondence about this demeanor. She called it muscle memory. Mm-hmm. In other words, imagine you're riding a bicycle. The first time as a child, you're thinking about all of it, your feet, your hands, your balance. She treated her medical work as if it were the bicycle riding 20 years later. You don't think about the skills of riding Mm -hmm. the bike, you're watching for traffic and pedestrians. That's the way she treated her medical work. The hands were doing the saving of the life, in this case, Jody Middick, but her eyes and her awareness, her, the senses not involved in the involuntary saving of the life were keeping an eye out for other things. Mm -hmm. She was a split personality. And when I took that information of Alana's description of that muscle memory, and I superimposed it on other medics, it made sense, because that's exactly what they did as field ambulance. I mean, some of the guys talked about rushing stretchers through the trenches in the first yeah. war, how they could do it like a ballet where they were handing off the stretcher and one would jump down to allow the end of the stretcher going over the edge of the, the corner of the trench as not to upset the patient on the stretcher. It was like choreography. And, and, and isn't it something, though, when you when you look at it and how it has uh, evolved over the mm. years? I mean, so you, you talk about what your, what your dad did uh, in the war, then you look at what... Um, you know, the, the story from Afghanistan um, when the Blackhawks show up and, you know, I even look at um, just the UN peacekeeping uh, tour in, in Mali earlier this year, what our Canadian um, Air Force members did with the Chinooks, which were pretty much, you know, flying flying hospital uh, rooms and operating yep. rooms and how it's ev- how it's evolved but how you're still you're still going right into a situation you're going into a situation i mean those chinooks um in in mali uh you know had griffin helicopters with you know guys hanging out the doors patrolling. with the with with the guns patrolling they no one was getting out no yeah. one was getting down until the, everything was safe um and 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 that to me is just bloody remarkable it is i i, I don't know who has the well, I, I, I do know who has the, the guts Chutzpah. to do it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. That was yep. not the word that I, I was <laughs> going to use. Yet. And I was <laughs> going to, I might have not had a job. Uh, a quick break here. When we come back, um, you're, you're, 
your question, you you wanted it answered, wondering who would do this um, or why they would do oh. this. I want to know if you came up with an answer. Okay? Okay. When 6.30 Chet Afternoons returns. The new Avario Event Center is opening. The grand opening is this afternoon. I'm Tracy Gray broadcasting live with 630 Chet. Now the new Holiday in Edmonton South is here with the Avario Center. Such an amazing hotel and facility. And I am here with the general manager, Vinu Nambir. Uh, Vinu, can you tell us about the amenities at the hotel? Holiday Edmonton uh, South, uh, located at Ellerslie Road on Parsons Road. Uh, this is one of the newest hotel uh, here in south side of Edmonton. Uh, we have 126 room, a burger theory restaurant, first here in Edmonton, where kids can eat free, four kids can eat free. And uh, we have uh, Ivario Event Center, one of the largest event center in the area, with a total square footage of 20,000, 20,000, and we can accommodate about 1,000 uh, people here in the burger theory and the unique FNB and catering services. All those things are so unique with the hotel and you need to really come see it for yourself. It is the new Holiday Inn Edmonton South grand opening and it's happening today. You'll find them on Ellerslie Road at 950 Parsons Road. <laughs> Okay, just because I was told to, joining me in studio, David O'Keefe, Ted Barris, um, and both authors, both military historians were talking uh, about all sorts of stuff, but I wanted to, you know, just cap on uh, my conversation with, our conversation with Ted about uh, his book, Rush to Danger, Medics in the Line of Fire. Um, off the top, as I, as I, as I read this, y your question was, and I'll say it again, why against his better judgment to stay within the uh, safety of friendly lines would my father instead choose to pick his way through a snow-covered minefield and into a forest infested with booby traps, find those wounded and dazed young litter bearers and bring them safely back? Why, when all the world was dashing the other way, would he choose to rush to danger? You said you wanted to find out and answer why the folks that do this job have done this job do it. Did you come up with an answer? It was somewhere in my father's DNA that there were bigger things in a war than he was. And, and sometimes it meant um, not knowing what the answer would be, not knowing what the outcome would be, but I guess he got it from his mother, the, the sense of responsibility. And if he'd been a corporal or a private, those four guys who were out in the snow Mm -hmm. Well, that's their problem. But he was a sergeant. And David will back me up on this. Sergeants are the toughest. And you probably know this yourself mm -hmm. from your service. Sergeants are the toughest people in the forces. Well, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, they have a... It's funny. The Germans called them field vebbles, field wives. Mm. And it's because they take care of the entire platoon. Yeah. And that's essentially what you're, yeah. you're hinting at here. Jody Middick said, mm -hmm. the guy we were talking about <laughs> yeah. earlier, he's, he called medics mommies. Yeah. Because they were always, are you getting enough to eat? Yeah. Are you got clean socks? This is back in basic, yeah. basic, basic training. But then when the pressure was on and Atlanta Gilmore had to be there, he was damn glad she was there. Well, and that was it. And, and Jody was chuckling. It's like, oh, okay, yes, yes, yes. Like, oh, they're always asking these questions, always asking these questions. But yeah, as you said, when they're there, you want them to mm -hmm. be there and they're there. Because your dad didn't want to be a medic. 
No. Mm-hmm. I, I think, in fact, it, <laughs> I don't know if I told this in the book or not. Um, his file, he, he got the draft notice in on his birthday in September 1942 when he turned 20. And um, the draft notice went in. He waited for an answer. And this is New York City. And nothing came. So he went down to the office and he said, how come you haven't called? And he said, I want to <laughs> serve. You know, I, I want to do my part. And, and they couldn't find his file. His file was jammed up in a file cabinet. You know where sometimes yes. in the drawer is so stuffed with stuff, one file gets tucked up inside on the top. Yeah. That's where his file was. His sister was so mad. <laughs> how, why did you could have sat out the war? But, but somehow um, he felt that that was important to go and do that. That. Um, and and uh, when they said, what do you want to do? He didn't want to carry a weapon, particularly. Mm. I don't know that he maybe verbalized it, but he clearly made, suggested to them that he wasn't the, he didn't have the killer instinct. Yeah. So they said they needed medics. Boom, off to Camp Phillips in Kansas. Yeah, and away he went. And he, that's what he learned. And, yeah. he, and he realized that, as Jody Middick said, that no one took medics seriously at that stage until it got really tough. Dave, your, um, your next book is uh, about the Black Watch. Yeah, it is. It's actually um, it's about the scout sniper platoon, and the interesting part is to to mesh it up with what we're talking about. Um, when they were not actually advancing with or ahead of the battalion, they were actually serving as stretcher bearers, <laughs> and this was they they doubled up and did quite wow. a lot. And so the the book that I've written is focusing on the seven days leading up to the massacre at Varia Ridge, which took place on July twenty fifth, and it um, and at one particular point I go into this and the the horrific aspects of these guys having to follow the rifle companies up Varia Ridge through the wheat and literally having to pick their way through the trails that have been left and then just stumbling across bodies, body parts, entrails, their friends. And these were guys that they had trained with for four years. And you can imagine how close you were. And then to be able to, you know, have to bring them back. And it is is something we... We cannot fathom. 20 books, 21, 22, a few books, uh, a history, you know, a, a, a life, you know, documentary. He's younger than I am. He's got lots of time. Right? <laughs> in it. But, but here's the thing. I mean, we all have interests. Um, and I wouldn't have had an, a history, uh, interest in, in military history in, until I was sent to France in 2003 and I will thank you know my my fr- my pals over at, at Global Television ever and ever for for that op- for that opportunity and it, and it and it's grown and it's it's become a passion and I understand that not everybody you know we all don't have the same the same interests and I think sometimes you know I don't want ever to think that I I, I talk about it too much cuz I don't believe you can talk about it too much what is it for the both of you and I'm going to ask you this as as we uh, wrap up this conversation what is it for you um that makes you want to keep telling these stories so many years afterwards or and in some cases not so many years afterwards very quickly it's not just about my dad and my dad's lineage in this thing Uh, and i think i've told you this before but perhaps some of your listeners haven't heard it the greatest compliment i've ever received was from a veteran who came up to me after one of my talks years ago and he said ted my name isn't in your book, but my story is. Wow. Mm. Wow. That's why. David? I guess it's for me, it's, it's, you know, we're constantly still trying to figure out what we as a species are all about. And I think when you, you end up examining it through the lens of war, where we're put under incredible pressure, 
human character, human nature reveals itself mm. in many different ways. And, you know, sometimes it's wonderful, sometimes it's, you know, the opposite. And I think that's what it is for me. It's that, that ultimate insight into human nature. Um, a vet um, from the um, Italian campaign told me my first time ever at Benny Surmere. And we've heard it said before, we'll never have a future if we don't remember the past. And he told me that, um, you know, pretty much breaking down outside of outside of uh, outside of Benny. And I will never forget that. And I think that is well, that is those are the words that I've written in every uh, every book that I've been at in any cemetery and any at any battlefield uh, across across Europe. And um that will always resonate with me, and I will continue to share the stories and continue to share the stories that you're telling. And I thank you both for joining me to share these stories. And if you want to hear more of these tomorrow night, we got lots of them. Tomorrow night at at Festival Place, I'm I'm thrilled to be. Um, introducing both of these guys. Um, uh, it is called From Dieppe to D-Day, The Untold Story. We'll see Ted and David answer all sorts of questions, have a talk, but we'll also talk about uh, Rush to Danger and also your new book again. Seven Days in Hell. And it's going to be available for pre-order tomorrow night as well. You got it. All right. Tickets still, maybe a few left at the Festival Place website. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing you both tomorrow. Thank you for this. A pleasure as Thank always. You.